Um, I know your pastor is out of town with his wife, um, enjoying some much-needed rest and uh, time of refreshing. Um, today I want to talk to uh, mainly the mothers, but Dad, you're not left out. Because what I want to speak to you about is, are you leaving a legacy of faith? For your children? Are you living your lives as moms and, yeah, as dads too, in front of your kids and leaving a legacy for them to follow of faith and faithfulness to God? It's a sound no runner wants to, no relay runner wants to hear. Ping, ping, ping. It's the sound of the baton hitting the ground. At the 2008 Beijing Olympics, the U.S. men's and women's 4x100 relay teams dropped the batons in their qualifying races. The dropped batons disqualified them from any further races. See, it's, there's a great importance to passing the baton to the next generation or the next person well. Moms, are you passing the baton well? Dads, are you passing the baton well? See, what you're passing is a legacy of faith to your sons and to your daughters. They learn by watching you. They listen to what you talk about. You're the example they're going to follow. Now, their faith won't be your faith, but it will be modeled after yours. So it's very important to pass the baton well. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 5, and I'm going to have you all jump around a little bit. Um, so... Uh, we're going to read this first, and I want you to keep it in mind as we, we go through uh, the message this morning. If you're there, uh, I'm reading out of the Holman, so uh, if your translation is a little bit different, that's cool. Um, yeah, exactly, just follow where we're going. Paul has wrote this letter to Timothy, and he, in my Bible, it breaks it down uh, for several verses and says it's Thanksgiving. And what he is doing is he's recounting back to what he knows about Timothy and his family. In verse 5, Paul says to Timothy that he is clearly recalling your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois, then in your mother Eunice, and that I am convinced is also in you. Now, if you'll flip to chapter 3 in 2 Timothy, verse uh, 15, Paul is saying, And you know that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What I, want to, what I really want to talk to you guys about is this idea of leaving a legacy of faith. For Timothy, you see that because Paul recounts it was in your grandmother Lois and then it was passed to your mother Eunice. 
Timothy, it was passed to you from your mother and your grandmother. They have left a legacy of faith for you to follow. So how I struggle with this because I know I'm, I'm the preacher. I'm not supposed to struggle with all of this stuff. But I struggle with this because I got to the question and I wrote it down in my, my notes where I write uh, as the stuff that, I, that the Lord puts in my mind or I think about it. I write it down because I go, I got to have something to put down because and something to put it down in. And I wrote down, how do I do this? How do we do this? How do we as parents, how do, how do you as moms, how do you as dads, how do you do this? And I started praying through it and started racking my brain over, okay, I know I'm a parent. I have two young kids. You've seen them running around. I wish I had their energy. But how do we do this? And I started thinking, okay, I know the Word of God has an answer for every question I've got. Amen? Amen. So how do we do this? First off, you've got to teach it to them. You've got to teach it to them. I told you we were going to jump around a bit, so go to the book of Deuteronomy. That's Old Testament. That's from the time of Moses. If you find numbers, it's just to the right. Chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 say this. I'll, I'll give you a moment to get there. I know some of y'all are flipping through Bibles going, where on earth is Deuteronomy? If you get to Joshua, you've went too far. Starting in verse 4, Moses is writing what the Lord has said to him, and this is what the Lord says. Listen, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Now, for some of y'all who, who may be asking the question, okay, Old Testament stuff, does this really matter? Yeah, because you learn who God is in the Old Testament. You see his faithfulness to Israel throughout the Old Testament. And from there... We learn a, lot, a great deal about who God is and what He is like. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. It doesn't mean singular. It means a unity. He is united. If you look back in the Old Testament to Genesis chapter 1, you'll see where in the beginning God made and the Spirit hovered over. What you see is when you look at it through Hebrew eyes, is that God the Father made through Jesus Christ, empowered and done through the working of the Spirit. The Trinity's been there all the time. So the building blocks that we have to teach is the foundation of our faith. What are we teaching our kids? Are we teaching them that the Lord is God and He is God alone? Or do we sit back and do we worship the television? Do we sit back and we worship our iPhones? Do we sit back and we worship a college football team? Now, I'm from Alabama. I grew up in Gaston. My parents are here. They can tell you exactly where. So I know in Alabama you have two choices at birth. You're either an Alabama fan or you're an Auburn fan. Roll Tide. Nobody's perfect. 
what are we worshiping? What are we teaching our kids? What's the foundation we're setting before them? Is it that the TV? Is it that our computer? Is it that our job? Is it that everything else is more important than the God we say we love and we serve? You see, we've got to teach them the building blocks of our faith. They're not born knowing. We have to teach them because I guarantee you, if you don't teach them to love God, the world will teach them to not love God. If you sit and listen to what is happening in our public schools, you will see they are taught not to love God. They are taught that evolution is a reality. It's not. Evolution is a theory they can't prove. If you, te- if you do not look at what you're teaching them, they will grow up thinking, you know what? I can go to church. I can check it off my social events, and I can be done, and that's all that's required of me. What are you teaching them? What are you teaching them? Verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. It's got to be something that you as a mom, you as a dad, internalize. It's got to live in you because if it does not live in you, it will not come out of you. Verse 7, repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. It's got to be a topic of conversation. It can't be just something you go, hey, it's time to sit down and eat supper. Let's say the blessing. God is great. God is good. Da, 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 da. We do that at home because my daughter has learned that prayer in school. Um, she's taught it to her three-year-old brother. At the, at the end of it, he yells amen. <laughs> it's a foundation. The importance of thanking God for what you've been given. But here, here's something I want to share with you. We got my wife a plaque. Some of y'all may have seen it on Facebook. It's about five foot wide. It is Joshua 24, verse 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We were sitting down after it arrived, and I put it on the wall where she wanted it to go. And we were sitting down and we were eating supper. And I looked at my daughter, who's seven, and I, her name is Jacelyn. I said, Jacelyn, what does that mean? What does it mean to love the Lord? What does it mean to serve the Lord? We had a discussion about that. She's seven. 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 I had to make sure I hold up the right number of fingers. I went to Etowah High School. Sometimes that's a question. <laughs> Seven. Jacelyn, what does it mean to serve the Lord? Daddy, it means to do what he tells you to do. Whew. Seven years old. She's got what some of the adults I know don't get. Seven. Jacelyn, what does it mean? This is what it means, Daddy. You're right. It does. That's what it means. How was she going to know? 
if her mother and I do not teach her. Now, granted, she's been blessed to be able to go to a, a Christian school where she, she gets everything from a biblical perspective. I'm thankful for that. But here's the thing. It does not start and end at her school. It does not start and end when she comes to church. That's a supplement to what her mother and I do on a day-to-day basis. Because if they're not teaching it, and we're not teaching it, guess who's not teaching it? Everybody that matters in her life. And guess what she's going to be taught? God's not real. That stuff from the Bible, that didn't really happen. When she was five years old, she'd been asking us question after question after question about sin and about Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And she, she asked and asked and asked. Five years old. Five. How does she know if we're not teaching that to her? How does she know? Of course she hears it at church, but if that's all she hears, that's the only place she hears it, it's not going to sink in. She's not going to learn the truth of the matter that as sweet as you are, as beautiful as you are as my daughter, you were still born a sinner. If she does not hear it from us, if she does not know and learn from us, how is she going to know? I can guarantee you, you walk anywhere out there outside these doors and ask somebody to teach her that, they're going to look at you, snicker, and go, whatever. I'm not teaching her that garbage. It's not real. It's not true. You and I, because we have a relationship with Jesus, know it's true. Because it's happened to us. We've come to the, cro- to the point where I know I'm a sinner. The Spirit of God has convicted my heart. I know I'm not right with God. And if I died right now, I would spend an eternity in a place called hell. At five years old, my daughter's asking those questions. At five years old, and I will not forget the day because it was the day before my birthday. She had her real birthday. The following January, I got to baptize my daughter. How was she going to know what any of that means if I'm not teaching her, if my wife is not teaching her? She can get it at church because she goes to a Christian school. She can get it at school. But if that's the only thing that she's getting and the only place she's getting, it won't sink in because she does not get it from me. She does not get it from her. Because God has tasked us as parents to be the one to teach our children. It says here in Deuteronomy, he's talking to parents, fathers, mothers, put these words I'm teaching you in your heart. Don't just have it up here. It's got to be here. If it's here, you'll talk about it. Why? Because it is important to you. And because it's important to you, you'll want to sit down at the dinner table and say, hey, what has God done for you today? What's God doing in your life? He goes on to say, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, the Jews took that really literally and they put things on their hands and things on their heads and to, to put these words that Moses would teach them. That's not what he's saying. 
He's saying it's got to be a part of your everyday life. It's got to be something that you know when you sit down and you talk with your family and you spend time together, you're going to talk about it. It's going to be evident because of how you live your life that this is true and this is important to you. You have to discuss it with them. What does this mean? See, it's, it's good to be able to quote Scripture and they have to memorize a verse each week and on Fridays they recite it for a grade. That's great. It's putting it here. But it's got to be here. You've got to put it in your heart. Because if it's here, you won't forget it. And when you need it, God will call it back up for you. So we've got to teach them. Just like they go to school and they learn how to read and how to write and how to do math and how to how the, the, the sun makes the plants grow and all these other things. They have to learn from us the same way. We have to break it down with them. This is what it means to love God. It means you do what He tells you to. It means you obey what He tells you to do. Well, how do you know? You have to pray. Well, Daddy, how do you pray? Mama, how do you pray? That's a hard one to teach you, but I guess I can just show you. Come on, let's pray. See, we have to teach to them. We have to teach to them what they need to know to be followers of Christ. Mamas, how you doing on that? Daddies, how you doing on that? Are you teaching them what they need to know to follow Christ? To get to that point in their life where they go, you know what? I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus Christ is my Savior. I need to have Him. Are you teaching that to them? Not only do you have to teach to them, but you have to model it for them. See, it has to be more than just talk. It has to be more than just talk. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. I know I really have y'all jumping from one side of the Bible to the other. If you, uh, if you get to 1 Peter, you went just a little bit too far. You found Hebrews, you're almost there. What good is teaching them information? What good is teaching them information if it does not lead to actual transformation in their life? What good is it? It's just stuff you can know when you regurgitate for a test. Life is not that kind of test. It's something you have to model for them on a day-to-day basis. They've got to see you slip up and act stupid. They've got to see you get it right. They've got to see you, when you get it wrong, make it right. It's got to be modeled every day for them. They've got to see you and your spouse argue about something that is really absolutely stupid. And not stay mad at each other, but say, you know what? I'm sorry. I was wrong for how I reacted. Let's sit and let's talk about this. They've got to see you walk through that stuff. Because life is not pretty. Life is actually really ugly. Now, look at your own homes. Look at the stuff where you model your faith for your kids. How are you doing on that? 
What are they seeing actually in your lives that says that what I talk about actually means something to me? You see, you've got to live it out in front of them. You've got to live it out. It's a daily walk they have to see you go through. James in chapter 2 says, starting in verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his, works, can his faith save him? If a brother or sister was out, is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you don't give them what they need. What good is it? What good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Here's what James says. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith from my works. See, I can say I have all the faith in the world. And people who have known me for a while have heard me use this. Here's what faith is. I know airplanes fly. I see them in the sky. I watch videos of them on YouTube, whatever, because you know, some of these pilots are crazy. They fly that far off the ground. I know airplanes fly. That's not faith. Faith is saying, I know airplanes fly and I'm getting on one because I know it's going to take off fly, take me where I need to go, and land. That is faith. Because if I just say I have faith and I don't do anything with my faith, it's worthless. James says it's a dead faith. They have to see your faith modeled out day to day or else it's a dead faith. Just like James says, if a brother or sister comes up and says, hey, I have a need, and you go, God bless you. I bless your heart. I know I'm from Alabama. I'm from the South, and y'all are too. Y'all know what bless your heart means. I don't have nothing really good to say, so I'm just going to say, bless your heart. If they do not see you when you come up to somebody who is homeless and you know they're homeless and they're asking for help and you go, bless your heart, that means nothing. But if they see you go, hey, what do you need? I need some food. Hold on, what do you want? I'll be right back. You pull up and you hand them a sack of McDonald's cheeseburgers. That is faith that they can learn because they see it modeled. The problem in the church, and I know you're thinking, hey, you're a young guy. What do you know? I've been in church all my life. I grew up in a little country Baptist church in Gaston, Alabama called Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. My grandmother went there. My mother went there. My sister, me, my brother... Half my stinking extended family went there. Just about every, everybody in the church was somehow related. I almost swear, somehow related. Either through blood or they just known each other long enough. It's like, you're just family. 
So I've been in church all my life. I've seen what church in some situations is. It is a gathering place for old people. If you are not modeling for them the faith they should have, you should not sit back and question why your teenagers and why your young adults leave church and don't come back. Here's the problem. You've modeled for them a faith with a boring, dead God. If they do not see God actively working in your life and you model that in front of them and you show them and let them walk through it with you, you have a boring God and they have no interest in a boring God. But if they see you, hey, your mom's going on a mission trip. She is terrified of flying. She's going to get on three airplanes and fly 6,000 miles because there's a people who need to know about Jesus. And they see her get in the car, drive to the airport, and they FaceTime and mama's going, hey, I'm about to get on this airplane. Let's have a quick prayer. Bye, I love you. I'll, I'll call you or I'll text you when we get to the next airport. If they see her do that, there's a faith that they can model theirs after. Who even though mama's terrified, mama's still going. But if they say, well, there are people who need to know about Jesus. I hope somebody goes. What are you teaching them? What are you teaching them? That those people are not important enough for you to go personally and tell them. Um, I'm a seminary student, which means all my spare time and all my spare money goes to a school in Georgia. My wife is stinkering. She's going, yeah, tell me about it. One of my professors recounted a story where uh, he was talking with his evangelism professor when he was in seminary years and years ago. And he was on his way to this church to teach about evangelism. And this is the evangelism guy. Let's, let's go do outreach. Let's go tell people about Jesus. Let's go knock on doors and say, hey, how are you doing? Do you know Jesus? More than that, but you get the point. He says he got to a rest area. He had just entered a state, and he stopped at the, the welcome center to stop and use the restroom. And he, he says, on his way out, the Lord told him, you see that young lady at the greeting desk? She needs to know about Jesus. Go tell her about me. He says, the whole way out, I struggled with that. I got in my car, was still struggling with it, to the point where the Spirit of God would not let me put my key in the car turn the ignition on and back up. I got out, is what he says, to go back in. And there's this trucker talking to this lady, this young woman, with a tract in his hand leading her to Jesus. He felt ashamed. Imagine if his kids were right there with him. This is the guy who teaches people in seminary to do evangelism 
effective ways to do evangelism. He's the guy. He's that guy. That's his thing. He's the guy who's like on Monday nights, we're going out, we're telling people about Jesus. Everybody willing to go? Come on, let's go. He's that guy. Imagine if his son or if his daughter was there watching him. And he goes back in. He sees this other guy talking to her with a tract in his hand leading her to Jesus. He said she accepted Christ that night. Here's what God told him. If you don't do it, I will send somebody who will. Mamas, daddies, if you're not modeling it for them, but you got them in church, God will send send somebody who will. They will form a relationship with somebody, and it will be somebody who will model what a faith in God is supposed to be. And they will get to experience all the joys of that. So if you're not modeling it, what are you doing? Are you modeling a faith that says, you know what, I've checked it off my social event calendar. I've, I've done my, my Bible reading because, well, I'm supposed to. Or they see you model a faith that is real. Are they seeing you model a faith that changes your life? Not only do you have to teach it to them and then model it for them, you have to encourage them along their walk. Now, in Exodus, I'm not going to have y'all jump back there. But in Exodus 17, there is a story about Moses, good old Mo. And he has sent Joshua out to battle the Amalekites. One of those people, they're driving out of the, the promised land. And Moses goes onto the hill to overlook the battle. And he's got the staff of God in his hand. Now, as long as he keeps his arms raised, the Israelites are winning. But the battle's long. The battle gets tough. And what happens? He starts getting tired and his arms start dropping. As his arms drop, the Amalekites start winning. He sees what happened. He thrusts his arms back up. The, the Jews start winning again. He's still getting tired. Arms start dropping. And two brothers come up to him. And they take his arms and they push them back up and hold them. So that the Jewish army can win the battle. See, mamas, daddies, you get them to the point where they're believers. You've taught your faith. You've modeled it for them. Here's what's going to happen. Because the world we live in is harsh. Because the world we live in is dangerous to Christians. They're going to get put through the ringer. They're going to get beat up along the way. They're going to be standing there with their arms raised trying to fight the battle and they're going to get tired. Are 
Are you going to let them fall? Or are you going to come alongside of them, encourage them, hold their arms up, and help them fight the battle? What are you going to do? Do you let them fight it alone? Do you? Or do you come alongside of them and say, I know it's hard. I've been there. Let me tell you what God has done for me in that. And share with them and encourage them and pray not only with them, but you pray for them. Because the battle gets tough. The road gets hard. But if you are there in their struggles with them, you are like her and Aaron in that story about Moses. You come along, you prop them up. When they get weak, you help them sit down, but you still encourage them and you still fight with them. Because if you don't, because the battle gets hard, they're going to give up. They're going to walk away and say, you know, it's not worth it. But I guarantee you, if you come alongside them and say, sweetheart, I know. Been there. Got the bruises. I still got the scars. But let me tell you what the Lord did. He walked with me through it. Just as that song that we sang earlier, I am not alone. I am not alone. He went before me. He never left me. Let me tell you how that happened in my life. So when the battle gets tough, and you come up beside him and say, Hey, I know you're struggling. I know it's tough. But guess what? You're not alone. You're not alone. You don't fight by yourself. You fight because God is with you. And guess what? He commands the armies of heaven. I don't think you got that. He commands the armies of heaven. You don't fight by yourself. You don't fight from a position of you have already lost because guess what? He has already won. Because he has already won and you're his. Guess what? You've won too. I've read the last book in the Bible. Do I understand all of it? No. I've read it. You know what it says? Here's what it says God wins. (laughs) You will take Revelation, sum it all down. Here's what it says. God wins. Here's how he does it. God wins. And guess what? He calls you son. He calls you daughter. Not only does he call you that, he has adopted you into his family, so you really are. And because your daddy wins, you win too. Teach it to him. Model it for them. And when it gets tough, encourage them. 
Dr. Tom Elif, he, uh, at one time he was the president of the International Mission Board with the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, was speaking uh, at chapel one day at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he was, he was sharing with them, uh, speaking with them out of Second Timothy. And he's telling them the story about they had invited him and his wife, had invited all of their kids and their 20-plus grandkids to spend time together, to enjoy a meal, just to fellowship as a family. Because they had something they had to tell him. They had to tell him that his wife was dying. She was losing her battle with cancer. They're sitting around the dinner table. Now, mom, dad, three, four kids, and 25 grandkids. That's a big table, but still. They're sitting around the table. And he says, honey... Won't you share your testimony again? She shared how after being a pastor's wife for five years, she prayed to receive Christ as her Savior. And then went on to tell about what all God has done for her since then. Now he kind of fast forwards in the story a little bit to one night they're in bed and they're sitting and talking and one of the things they do is they recite scripture to each other. They will quote scripture to each other. And her, late, her breathing was so labored she couldn't. So he's quoting to her. He quotes from Ephesians. He quotes from Psalms. He, quote, he quotes from John chapter 14. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will surely come back. When he got to that point, she drew her last breath. She drew her last breath. A short time later, he's still mourning and grieving over his wife. They had that time I've been married for 48 years and 11 months. And he's sitting, he's having this pity party because he misses her. And he's praying, talking to the Lord, and just crying out for help because he misses her. He gets a text message from one of his granddaughters. Granddaddy, pray with me. I just led somebody to Christ. She's a missionary in Thailand. Granddaddy, pray for me. He says over the next hour and a half to two hours, he gets text messages from four other grandkids. Same story. Granddaddy, pray with me. I just led somebody to Jesus. See, what they did, not only did they teach to their children... They talked to their grandchildren. They didn't just teach it, they modeled it for them. And at the point where they get a little outside of what they're, they're used to or what, or they need some help, they encouraged them. He said, I prayed with them. See, she was in Thailand. I picked up the phone and prayed with her. 
you teach it to them. You model it for them. You encourage them along the way. Guess what happens? You leave a legacy of faith that carries from generation to generation to generation. That's what matters. Not what comes on on Monday night on ABC. Not what, not what happens in Tuscaloosa during football season or Auburn during football season. It's not what's going on at your workplace and how much work you've got to do and how big the, the stacks of stuff on your desk are. It's a faith that you live out because you model it because it's real to you. And your kids see it. And they catch hold of it. And they don't let go. To where you could one day be like Dr. Tom Eliff and getting text messages from your grandkids. Granddaddy, pray with me. I just let somebody do Jesus. You see, we have to leave that legacy. No one else will. If we don't do it, no one else will. No one else will. It's got to be something you see and pass on because you had to get it from somebody. You had to see it modeled by somebody. I saw it modeled by my grandmother. I saw it modeled by a lot of my extended family. I saw it modeled through my mother to me. Had to start somewhere. It didn't just magically appear in me. Had to be something I saw modeled. It had to be something that I saw and realized was real. To the point that I said, I want that too. Now, it's Mother's Day. I know there are some visitors here. I'm sure there are some guests here. How do you model and teach something you don't have? It's impossible. You can't teach something you don't know. The Christian faith is not just information. It's a relationship. If you're here today and you don't have that relationship, today's the day. You're not promised tomorrow. I've seen too many people who have said, I'll wait. And their wait runs out of the actual time they have. If you do not know, today is the day. You've got to understand something. You were born a sinner. You got it from your daddy. Really, you did. If you trace back through Scripture, you got it from your daddy. But not only that, not only are you a sinner by birth, you're a sinner by nature. It's not something you just are. It's something you do. It don't have to come from your mama or your daddy because you're a human being and we live in a fallen world. You're a sinner by nature. It's passed all the way down from Adam, all the way down to me. My daughter, as precious as she is, was born a sinner. 
my son, my three-year-old son, you'll see him running around after service. He was born a sinner. There will come a time in his life where he will have to make a choice. Do I want to risk dying without Christ? Spending an eternity in a place called hell. See, hell is a real place. If you believe heaven's real, guess what? So is hell. And the descriptions you see in the Bible don't do it justice. It is worse than what you could ever imagine. Do you want to risk spending your eternity there? Because if you die without Christ, guess what? You have determined your destination. But it does not have to be your destination. You can make a choice today to accept Christ as your Savior.